0: Hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to the Story Church Podcast. Our podcast features audio from Sunday mornings at Story Church in Peru, Indiana, a community on the mission of connecting people's story to God's story. If you'd like to connect with us further, check out storyperu.com. Our hope is that today's episode helps you take your next step on your faith journey. So I'm excited to jump into this series. Like I said, that's going to lead us right up into Easter. And I think in a lot of ways, it's going to be a good setup for Easter. Um, You'll find out today. We're kind of jumping to like the Easter story right away today in some ways. But uh, I think it'll be a good setup for us because what we're going to do in some ways along this series is we're going to look at some of the like earthy, gritty, real details of the start of the movement known as the church. Uh, The start of what happened at Easter and how the movement moved from that moment and uh, in fact right out of the gate I want to give you a little bit of a disclaimer that today might feel a little heavier than normal at times Uh, so brace yourself for that like I promise I'm not going to beat you up or anything it's just we're talking about some kind of intense stuff along the way and uh, if you're new here again Sunday isn't always like this so if you're like wow those guys are very intense about what they talk about not always but today I think for where we're going in this conversation it'll serve us well to talk about some kind of heavy stuff Uh, but it's also a series that I feel like has been kind of brewing in me for a few years, uh, because if you, like, backtrack three years ago, 2020, the year that we'll live in infamy, right, Uh, I, I was actually not a teaching pastor during that season. I was a campus pastor on staff at a church, but I didn't have teaching in my responsibilities, and so what that meant is that as all the craziness was happening in our world, I kind of like you, just sat back and observed, right? And I took notes. And there was a lot that I wanted to talk about, or or a lot that I wanted to speak on. And don't worry, we're not going to get like weird or anything today. But there's just a lot that I like observed. And and I thought, man, I I don't know if we're getting it right as Jesus followers in that cultural moment, or even in this cultural moment. And and so uh, some of that is what I want to talk about today, because some of it is honestly still going on today. But if you remember those days, there was plenty to observe in 2020. And Buckle up, we'll do a little blast from the past here. Uh, it was actually three years ago, almost to the day that the world shut down. Remember like, where you were that season? I feel like it's gonna be one of those things for us. Uh, for me, the like, milestone marker of the beginning of COVID and the shutdowns and all that was when the NBA was canceled. That was when I knew it was serious. So uh, I can remember that day, I was actually down in Indianapolis meeting with the executive pastor of uh, the church that I was a part of then. And uh, we had lunch. I remember that I gave him a hug at the end of the lunch not knowing that like that would not be allowed for about two years after that point. <laughs> but but I gave him a hug and then I actually drove back here and I had a meeting with Sarah. Uh, we were meeting in the party room and just talking about how things were going at the church and what was coming up. And I remember the notification scrolled across my phone like NBA canceled. And her and I were like, well, guess we should go home because this is gonna be a big deal. And little did we know, right, that two weeks to stop it all turned into two years of ups and downs and chaos and craziness. Um, I can remember, you know, at, start at first it was like, okay, two weeks. That's not going to be too bad, right? And then it was like, oh, Easter is not happening as normal, right? Like a month into it. And so I can remember just the goofiness of Easter online and uh, sitting in my living room with like my laptop pulled up and trying to find bread and juice to do communion or whatever. <laughs> like just the goofiness of that season. Um, then like a month or two afterwards, finally warm weather showed up. And do you remember how good it felt when warm weather showed up and we could at least have our backyards again? And we we're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. So um, I can remember that. And, and it kind of kicked off a uh, a new season of the pandemic for me, which I maybe should be embarrassed to admit, but we're friends, right? You can handle it today. So um, the warm weather happened and I was just an online campus pastor because that's all that we had in that season, which basically meant that I like managed the chat room while you wonderful people hopped on for church. Um, and so I realized like, hey, the weather is nice. All I need is an internet connection. And my grandpa has a lake cottage. So We went up north to my grandpa's lake cottage uh, every weekend during that season, and it was the first time that I could experience Sunday like you guys have the opportunity to experience Sunday. Like, it was kind of optional for me. Not like I did my job, but here's how I did my job. We went up to the lake. We would hang out there on the weekend, uh, but my grandpa's cottage doesn't have internet access, and so I would get in the car, and I would drive to the nearest town. It was about a half hour away, uh, and find a Starbucks, and I just sat in the parking lot of Starbucks because Starbucks was closed, but the Wi-Fi was still on, and so I just sat out there, And like, pulled up church and would like chat with people, pray for people, whatever. Some of you are like, You prayed for me and you were sitting in a parking lot? Like, how could you? But I confess, like, maybe not the best move ever, but uh, it was like a distinct rhythm I got into during COVID. Uh, And then late 2020, right? We started reopening the world a little bit. We were able to gather again uh, together. And uh, then this election happened. (laughs) Remember that one? We're not going to talk about that a whole lot. And then, like, January happened and some things happened and again we're not going to talk about that but the word that was used over and over and over and over again to describe this season was this word unprecedented right every commercial suddenly said in these unprecedented times like it it was almost as overused as new normal they just like went hand in hand in these unprecedented times as we figure out our new normal and uh, really I, I think this sense that the world is crazy, right? This sense that things are a little out of control. It's kind of continued on even into our present moment. Uh, I saw this tweet this week that I felt like, man, I actually kind of feel that. Uh, It says, I am so tired of living like it's the 1600s. Can I afford eggs at the market? Are my friends going to die in the plague? Puritans coming for my sinful lifestyle? I want some modern problems, modern problems, right? Like, I feel like we all have those problems right now, and they were those problems back then, too. Uh, And I think all of us agree with this sentiment, right? When we think about what those days were like and maybe what these days are still like, it's like, don't know about you, but I could really go for some precedented times right now, right? Just normal, boring, (laughs) precedented times. Uh, I think this whole dynamic, this whole thing that we've all experienced together, it really does beg the question, though. Like, are these times that we're living in and these times that we've lived through really that unprecedented, right? Are, are they really that remarkable? Is, is the chaos of the world a new thing that's just ramped up for like three years? I'm like, oh my gosh, what happened? Or if they aren't unprecedented, is there something that we can learn from those who went before us as it relates to our faith and as it relates to how we can actually live our lives in light of a crazy world? As I was thinking about this dynamic, um, I started thinking about my, my great grandpa and my grandpa. Uh, Because it's helpful, right, when you're like, man, is this new or has this been around before to think about those who have gone before us? Uh, My great-grandpa saw such incredible change in his life. He lived uh, to be 101 years old, so he was born in 1899, and he passed away in 2001, so he missed all the COVID fun. But his joke was that he uh, lived in three centuries and he remembered one. But like, just think about the pace of change and everything that he saw in his lifetime, and the ups and downs. And again, I was thinking about my grandpa as well. He was born in the 30s, and uh, that means that like in his lifetime, uh, he saw the polio outbreak. And like in his days, uh, he wasn't allowed to go swim in the swimming pool for threat of polio. Like they shut those down, they locked them up, right? Uh, and that was crazy. Um, when you think about 2020, I kind of skipped over this, but there was like all the racial unrest that we experienced and, and the civic conversation we were having. And my grandpa lived through the 1960s, right? And then the 1980s as these conversations kept swirling around and swirling around. Like I said he was born in the 30s, so he was kind of on the tail end of this. But his life was radically impacted and shaped by the Great Depression. Th- this horrible economic instability that happened in our country, and it shaped the way that he approached money and the way that he he spent and, and really the way that he lived. And so there's like these crazy moments, right? When I think about his life and the things that he's lived through, and to me, he's just grandpa, but like it, he's gone through some stuff before, just like we're going through some stuff right now. And if you even zoom out beyond like the American legacy or some of the moments in our recent history, uh, I was thinking about the legacy of the church, The story of the church and where it started, uh, to where it went, to where it is today. And I actually heard this story at a conference recently about a martyr, a person who was actually killed for their Christian faith very early on uh, in the start of the church. And these stories are always really compelling to me. In fact, uh, it was pretty pivotal in my own faith journey. I remember when I was like in middle school, uh, I ended up getting this book. It was called Jesus Freaks. Any DC Talk fans in the house? You're like a real Christian if you know DC Talk, but they were like in uh, CCM music back in the 90s. Look it up if you want to listen to a real great song. But uh, this book was put out by DC Talk. It was called Jesus Freaks, but it was supported by this organization called The Voice of the Martyrs. And they basically told the stories of people in ancient past and in recent history who were killed for their faith, who had these bold professions of faith all the way to the end, their lives, and, and so anyway, this story I heard recently is about a woman named Saint Perpetua, or Perpetua is her name. Uh, she lived around 182 AD, so like in the first and second centuries of the church, the very, very beginning of the church. A- and she became a Christiani, as it was in Latin, just beginning to be called. This movement was just suddenly starting to be called Christianity. A- and so she put her faith in Jesus. And then when she was about 22 years old, she had just had her first child. A a Roman emperor came into place named Septimus Severus, and he made Christianity illegal throughout the Roman Empire. And and to make an example of his new law and his new policy, he started rounding up Christians and arresting them. And uh, Perpetua was a part of that arrest. Uh, She was actually from kind of a wealthy, influential family. So she was arrested basically to make an example of her so that people would stop practicing Christianity. And, And she was put in jail. But all that she had to do to get out of jail, all that she had to do to be free is to recant her faith. In, in other words, to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, I, I no longer believe in Jesus, burn a little incense to Caesar, and off she goes. Right? She could be set free. Otherwise, she was likely gonna be put to death. And so her family started asking her to recant her faith to do this simple act because they loved her and because they wanted her to be safe. And so uh, we actually have preserved a letter from Perpetua's father where you can see how much pressure was being put on her to do this act of recanting her faith. And he wrote this. Uh, He said, do not abandon me to the reproach of men. In the ancient world, it was an honor-shame culture. So he's like, you're bringing shame on on my family, on us. Think of your brothers. Think of your mother and think of your aunt. And then he lays it on really thick. Think of your child who will not be able to live once you're gone. Give up your pride. You will destroy all of us. Perform the sacrifice, the offering to Caesar and have pity on your baby. I mean, can you imagine? What what her life was like in that moment, locked in, in this Roman prison with all this pressure uh, to do what seems like maybe a simple act, right? Maybe you're like me, you're like, I don't know, that, that seems like kind of an easy get out of jail free card, right? Just to say something. I don't have to really mean it. I don't know. But, but that's not what she did. Instead, Perpetua just kept saying over and over and over again in the jail, no, I am a Christian. I am a Christian. I am a Christian. And the story goes that she actually had this dream in, in the middle of the night, and in this dream, there was a ladder with a dragon wrapped around the bottom of it. And so she climbed the ladder. And when she got to the top of the ladder, there was this beautiful garden. And in the midst of the garden, there was this old shepherd surrounded by thousands and thousands of people. And she walked up to the old shepherd and he gave her uh, some cheese that was delicious for her to eat. And it was this like treat for her. And he said, welcome. And when she woke up, she knew that meant that it was her time to die. And that's exactly what happened. But the story is that she was full of peace in that moment. And in fact, there's an ancient recording of some of these stories called the Acts of Christian Martyrs. And here's how they describe what happened on that day that Perpetua was killed. It says, the day of their victory dawned and they marched from the prison to the amphitheater joyfully as though they were going to heaven with calm faces, trembling, if at all, with joy rather than fear. Perpetua went along with shining countenance and a calm step she began to sing a psalm she screamed as she was struck on the bone and then she took the trembling hand of the young gladiator and guided it to her throat it was as though so great a woman feared as she was by the unclean spirit could not be dispatched unless she herself were willing whoa right like talk about such an intense story such a powerful example of the confidence that she had in her faith and she was one of the thousands of christians some scholars actually believe it's up to millions of christians who were arrested and ultimately murdered in the first and second centuries of the church and you would think right talk about a crazy world you would think this little movement Uh, This little movement contained inside of the Roman Empire at the time, you would think that this type of treatment would stop it, right? You would think that this chaos would shut it all down. Like, who would sign up for this when you see these examples? Well, the truth is the early church grew, not in spite of the martyrs, but actually because of them. Uh, One of the early church fathers, a guy named Tertullian, uh, wrote this. He said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, it's this powerful idea that their sacrifice was actually the thing that caused the movement to keep moving. And, and why am I talking about Christian martyrs today? <laughs> like you're like, whoa! I thought we were going to like get some hope in here. This is getting a little intense. I warned you. Okay, it's going to get worse. Uh, but the reason I'm talking about this, for one, is because violence and persecution still happens in our world today. Uh, these stories are actually still lived out, and in fact. Um, I was reminded of this uh, just this weekend on St. Patrick's Day, I was watching a documentary about U2 that just came out on uh, Friday. It's David Letterman and Bono and The Edge and it's fantastic and you should all check it out. But they hang out and uh, they're talking about the band and their story and uh, their roots in Dublin and how that shaped their music. And eventually in the documentary, uh, they got to the story of a U2 concert that was canceled in November of 2015. It was gonna be held in Paris. And if you can remember, in Paris, in November of 2015, there was a terrorist attack that happened there, and 130 people uh, were killed, and it sent shockwaves in so many ways through the Western world, Uh, not so much because there was a terror attack, right? Unfortunately, we're kind of used to those, and and we're kind of used to hearing the stories of, of tragic things happening, but it shocked the world because it happened over here, right? It happened in Paris, and then actually shortly after, there was an attack in America as well, and it caused this kind of instability in in how safe we felt, because we're okay if that stuff happens over there, right? But when it happens here, it it seemed like this new thing, and it was this kickoff to a rising tide of fear and anxiety among Americans, including American Christians, and actually in 2022, uh, there's an organization called Open Doors USA that studies uh, Christian persecution throughout the world. They, like, try and take stats on how it's going, and the state of uh, our world for people who believe in Jesus. And they estimated in 2022 that 360 million Christians last year lived in countries where persecution was significant. Roughly 5,600 Christians were murdered. More than 6,000 were detained or in prison, and another 4,000 plus were kidnapped. And in addition, more than 5,000 churches and other religious facilities were destroyed last year alone throughout our world. And in fact, the president of Open Doors, David Curry, said it this way. He said the level of exclusion, discrimination, and violence against Christians in some countries has risen to a level akin to ethnic cleansing. Like this still happens in our world today. But quick sidebar, not in America, okay? But like, I can go on a little rant about this, so I'll keep it contained, because I know we all had mixed feelings about lockdowns, right, and I'm not going to ask you about how you think the government should function or anything like that. We can do that another time uh, if you really want to, but, uh, like, we had mixed feelings, and I'm not going to kick the hornet's nest today, but, man, I'm here to tell you that there's nothing that we experience in America that deserves the title of persecution when you hear stories like the historic story of somebody like Perpetua, or or when you hear about people, our brothers and sisters in countries like Afghanistan and North Korea and Syria and Saudi Arabia and Nigeria and Pakistan, right, who, who have such a dramatically different experience than we do. And at the same time, to be fair, right, to complicate matters a little bit. There's Christians in our country right now who feel like the cultural and the legislative and the academic uh, tone has become increasingly anti-Christian in our world. So some feel that our religious liberty is being threatened, that our our free speech is being limited, and in light of that, there's this understandable anger and frustration brimming under the surface. There's this frustration about the way that things on, and there's an understandable fear that's in our culture, And what I want to do with the rest of our time that we have is I want to talk to those of you who would say that you're a follower of Jesus. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're just like checking it out or somebody promised you lunch or something, I'm really glad that you're here. And I hope that what we talk about today, even though it's kind of intense, I hope it causes you to lean in. Uh, But the question for Jesus followers, in light of these unsettling times that we live in, I think the question is, how should we respond how should we respond to a chaotic world? How should we respond to these pressures that it seems surround us everywhere? The good news, if you can't tell yet, is that I don't believe for a second that these times are unprecedented at all. Uh, Rather, I think at the heart of the Christian story is a moment like this where the world seemed unsettled, where things seem turned upside down. And that gives us guidelines and an example of how we should and how we should not respond in these moments. So what I want to do, is I want to just sh- remind you or show you maybe for the first time what's at the heart of the beginning of this movement called the church. And this is what I warned you about earlier, okay? It's it's pretty intense stuff that actually started this movement. And in fact, it's a little embarrassing that we forget this. It's a little embarrassing that we forget how this whole thing started specifically for our founder, for Jesus. Uh, because like what I'm going to share in light of it Many of us, myself included at times, we look so weak and whiny and entitled and spoiled and soft and shallow in the face of what actually began this movement known as Christianity. So what I want to remind you of is that at the epicenter of Christian faith, our founder, right, Jesus, in the beginning, the founder of our faith, he was betrayed by a friend, he was unjustly arrested, right? The charges against him, they, they really shouldn't have been levied against him. Unjustly arrested. He was illegally tried and convicted. He didn't get a fair trial. They like stacked the deck with the jury. They paid him off to make sure that he was guilty. And he was flogged, which that word, if you grew up in church, or maybe you've heard the story before, that word is thrown out. And even in scripture, it's just kind of like a sidebar. It's like, oh yeah, and Jesus was flogged. But if you know like what flogging is, oh, it's such a horrible, horrible practice. And I'm going to explain it to you a little bit, but I'm going to have to, like, give you the PG version, okay? Because if I, like, went fully into all the detail of of what happened to Jesus, some of you would leave the room, right? (laughs) You'd be like, it's too much. I I don't want to hear this today. Uh, But Mark records it and says, wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate, who, who was the governor of this region at the time, he released Barabbas to them, and he had Jesus flogged. So there was this festival day, and the governor of Judea, Pilate, wanted to make the people happy. And so he basically released this prisoner, Barabbas, who was like a folk hero. It's like stories were told about Barabbas. And so he released Barabbas, and then the text says, to satisfy a crowd, he had Jesus flogged. I mean, it's staggering even to just think about that, the the kind of sickness. To, To make the angry mob happy, Jesus was flogged and if you grew up in church maybe you heard the word scourged or the word flogged but it's just a word that doesn't mean a lot to many of us right Uh, hopefully you've never seen or experienced anything like it but uh in more recent years there have been some movies made that give us a little bit more insight into what flogging was all about uh And again, I'm going to give you like the PG version, okay? Because if I really go into the detail, it's going to be like, whoa, what are we doing here? Uh, But essentially two Roman centurions, because this was a skilled job to be able to perform a flogging. You had to like know what you were doing. These two centurions with a wooden handle that was about a foot long uh, and had leather straps about six to eight feet long. and, And tied into those leather straps, there were rocks and bits of glass and steel all in there. And the goal of flogging was to slowly rip the skin off of a person's back and their chest and their stomach, one lash at a time. And so again and again and again, they, they would tie the person's hands together, uh, typically at the top of a pole, so that their entire body was exposed. And this is what Pilate had done to Jesus, to satisfy a crowd. And, and then after Jesus was flogged, I mean, imagine just how painful that experience was, right? He was taken back to headquarters where Pilate's men then decided to have some fun with the king of the Jews they decided to, to pick at him a little bit. And th- this man who stands at the epicenter of Christianity, right, the, the founder of our faith, the one whose name we were singing earlier, a- as we're gathered together today as a Christian church, uh, here's how Matthew, who, who was an eyewitness to these events, here's how he records it. He says, they stripped him and they put a scarlet robe on him. I mean, imagine, right, his back, and, and they put that robe over him. They wove thorn branches into a crown, this thing that we've romanticized in so many ways, but they put it on his head and they placed a reed stick in his right hand as a scepter. And then they knelt before him in mockery, and they taunted, all hail the king of the Jews. And they spit on him, and they grabbed the the stick, and they struck him on the head with it. Other translations say again and again and again. And if that wasn't enough, right, then Pilate decides to issue his sentence. And he gives Jesus the maximum sentence. No mercy at all. He's sentenced to death by crucifixion. And and here's what you need to know. I mean, we've probably heard about crucifixion before, right? If you've heard the story of Jesus or watched Spartacus or whatever. But but the Romans actually didn't invent crucifixion. The Romans perfected crucifixion. The Romans figured out how to leverage this uh, not to kill a man. That, That wasn't the purpose of crucifixion. The purpose of crucifixion was to keep a man alive as long as possible, to make an example of them. The idea is that they would make a person experience so much shame and so much pain that anybody who would walk by, because this was a very public thing, that anybody who would walk by would see that and they would say, I'm never going to cross Rome, right? I'm never going to mess with that empire, that they would have so much fear that they would never under any circumstance get out of line. A- and again, there's all kinds of theories about what Jesus' crucifixion was really like, and if I went into all the details, you would leave the room, right? <laughs> like, we'll give you a kind of the PG version again, but typically there was a spike or a nail that was driven between their wrists to support the weight of the body. Uh, Often there's a nail on on the foot, not to cause pain again, but so that people could push up again so that they would live as long as possible because it wasn't bleeding that killed you uh, as it related to crucifixion. The thing that ultimately killed people when they were crucified is they suffocated. They didn't have the strength to hold themselves up any longer and, and so they would eventually collapse and they wouldn't be able to breathe. And so these men were stretched out, sometimes on scaffolding. Uh, You know, in the pictures and in the art and in the movies, we see like the big cross lifted way up high in the air. That's typically not how crucifixion was actually done. Uh, They were actually quite low. And the idea was that the men would hang maybe a foot, maybe two feet off the ground, so that the passersby could look them in the eyes, right? So that they could shame them and mock them all the way to the point of death. And in fact, that's exactly what happened To Jesus, Matthew says it in this way, that those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from that cross if you're the son of God. And in fact, a little later, he says some religious leaders walk by, right? The people who funded this whole arrest and, and pulled off the whole scheme along with the Roman empire, they walk by and they say, he saved others, but he can't save himself. And by the way, I, and again, I know this is heavy, I know it's intense, but don't forget all of this happening to Jesus, right? All, this terrible, terrible thing that, that is actually at the beginning of the Christian story or the story of the church, this terrible thing that happened, it didn't happen because Jesus was arrested trying to evade the government, right like he wasn't running to egypt to try and hide or he didn't go uh, out into the caves in, in Getty and hide out like david did when he was hiding from saul if you know the story he didn't like run that play he wasn't at a port city trying to escape to the mediterranean where he could hide maybe in a jewish community like ephesus or galatia like he wasn't trying to escape but your savior and my savior he walked into jerusalem under his own power on purpose knowing what was going to happen, right? He willingly went there. He walked down Main Street in broad daylight in Jerusalem. And I think part of the thing we forget, part of the problem is our art and it's our movies, right? Because we if I say like, hey, what does Jesus look like? We think Jesus looked something like this. Uh, This is a picture. I remember my dad had it hanging up uh, in his room. And it's like one of the first pictures I remember seeing of Jesus and being like, dad, who's that beautiful man hanging in your room? (laughs) Like, And and, and that's how often Jesus is depicted, right? And I'm not picking on the artists. Like, art is typically a product of its culture, and a lot of the pictures of Jesus that we had were from the Middle Ages and the Renaissance, and and it was kind of this style. And, and like, as far as the movies, I don't want to be the guy who has to cast Jesus, right? Like, how how do you possibly get that right? But, like, when we see pictures like this and we think of this Jesus, we're like, okay, that guy, he couldn't possibly pull something like this off, right? That pretty Jesus went through all of that. Here's what I don't want you to miss. So your savior and my savior was extraordinarily bold. He he was extraordinarily bold. He walked into the temple and he overturned tables and he ran out these money changers uh, because they were selling and stealing from the people and they were embarrassing him as the son of the living God, right? So he ran them out of the temple and and turned over tables. And when the temple leaders confronted him, they didn't say, what do you think you're doing? Instead, they looked in his eyes and they heard his voice and they asked the question, who do you think you are? Because there was something about Jesus, something about his countenance, something about the way that he carried himself and his presence that was just oozing and overflowing with authority. They're like, who do you think you are? And your savior, my savior, he was bold. He was brave. In so many ways, he was fearless. He was braver than hell and he was stronger than steel and tougher than nails he proved to be. And here's what I don't want you to miss. Then he turns to you and he turns to me and he says, follow me, right? <laughs> he, t- he turns to us and he says, follow me. Yeah, in fact, we looked at this, I think just last week, uh, it's recorded in Luke that Jesus gathered his followers together and he said, hey, he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple mm-hmm. must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And here's what I'm getting at today, okay? We've been through some stuff the past few years, that, that's for sure. Life can be chaotic. The world has been crazy and it will probably continue to be crazy, right? But, but so many of us, as it relates to our faith, like w- we want the normal weeks of church, right? Where it's like, give me the like practical nugget that can help me manage my money or make my marriage better or give me a sense of what God's will is. Like where's the stuff that makes my life better and makes me better at life? I, 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 like, we're, I'm all in for that stuff, right? Give me that Jesus. We want Jesus and we follow him when it helps us. But Jesus says, follow me when it costs you too. Right, take up your cross daily. And, and Jesus, I mean, again, he understood us. He understands us, right? He understands our need for our security. He, he understands our propensity for safety and our risk averseness. And, and so what Jesus did time and time again in the life of his followers is he would gather them together and he would give them instructions like he did uh, right before he was arrested. Again, we looked at this just last week. In Matthew 10, Jesus gathers his followers and he says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. See, Jesus gathered his followers together, and he's like, "Look, fear is going to come. Right? You're going to be afraid of stuff. Fe- fear is an emotion. You can't like just turn off fear. And, and, and often, fear takes us by surprise. Right? We're like, "Oh my gosh!" Again, that's how 2020 felt. It was like, "Oh my gosh! What happened?" New Year's felt great, and then by March, we're like, boom, it's gone, right? It, it, fear takes us by surprise. But Jesus says, when that happens, remember that there is something to be afraid of. But it's not those who can just kill your body, right? There's something so much bigger than that. You should fear your Heavenly Father, who, who actually controls so much about our lives. He, he says, never allow fear from them or from it, from whatever is happening to rule your life. Instead, fear the one who has control over your souls. And let me tease that out for a second because the idea of fearing God for many of us has some baggage because we grew up with like angry God in the sky, right? And to fear God meant to like fear and tremble and don't you dare approach him. That's not what I'm talking about. I don't sign up for that God, okay, who's just like waiting to punish you. I don't think that that's an accurate picture of the God that Jesus followed. But rather, when I talk about fearing God, it means having him in the proper place in our life. It means respecting and understanding the role that he ultimately plays in our life. And again, Jesus illustrated this time and time again in the life of his followers. Maybe you've heard the story one time. They were out in the middle of the sea on a boat together. Jesus was taking a nap, as he often did. Okay? He was laying down, relaxing, and this storm starts brewing. And the guys get nervous, right? And then they start to get afraid because the waves keep getting bigger, and the sky's getting darker, and it's getting chaotic. In fact, Mark wrote about it, uh, and he used both the noun and the verb for fear together. Uh, The way he describes their attitude is they feared a great fear. (laughs) They feared a great fear in the midst of the storm, and then eventually they decide, hey, we should probably wake up Jesus, right? This is getting bad. Maybe he can do something, and and so they go, and they wake him up, and Jesus looks at them. I can imagine with a grin on his face, right? Like, I, i Honestly, I think he was probably under the blanket grinning because he's like, I know what's happening right now. But, but they wake him up and Jesus says, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? And then he got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves and it was completely calm and the men were amazed and they asked, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And it's as if Jesus was trying to tell them through the boat ride and maybe trying to tell us today as well that if you're gonna be afraid, fear God, right? If you're gonna be afraid, don't get caught up in the chaos of the world, don't get caught up in the circumstance. I mean, again, that's natural, that's understandable, but ultimately, you don't have to live fearful of the state of the world because there's a God who's above and beyond and before all of it, right? Here's the point today, we'll wrap it up. It's that unsettling times, they are not unprecedented. They are not unusual. In fact, in life, uncertainty is unavoidable. Wasn't that the thing in 2020 in 2021? It was just the uncertainty of like, is it real, is it not real? Can I do it? Can I not do it? Like, do I obey the government? Do I protest the government? <laughs> Am I gonna get sick? I don't, there was so much uncertainty. And uncertainty in life, again, maybe not at that scale again, hopefully, but uncertainty in life is unavoidable. But here's the message of Jesus. And here's the message of for anyone who would choose to follow Jesus. It's that uncertainty is unavoidable, but fearful is optional. Uh, Uncertainty is unavoidable, but fearful is optional. Fear isn't optional, right? Fear comes and goes. Fear is gonna happen. We have no control really on when fear pops up, but living a fearful life, living a life under the canopy of fear, right, Where, where we're always submitting to fear, fear or fearful is always optional and Jesus proved it, right? This, this moment that started the movement, the crucifixion and eventually the resurrection of Jesus, it was this moment where he faced deeply unsettling circumstances with boldness, with courage. He proved it in the way that he lived his life among the eyewitnesses in the first century. Jesus was born into and he lived through and he walked into the jaws of uncertainty in ways that only our brothers and sisters around the world who are really experiencing persecution can imagine. Jesus stepped into all of that. Uncertainty is unavoidable, but somehow they learned how to live without being overwhelmed by fear. And so I just want to wrap up with three questions, and I'm not going to answer them for you. Okay? They're just honestly supposed to be kind of unsettling questions for all of us. But in light of what we just heard, right? from, from the story of the martyrs to the state of the world we live in to the story of Jesus, in light of all of that, Is our version of Christianity worth that? Is your version of your faith worth what you just heard about? Is our version of Christianity worth dying for? Is the way that we live worth the price that they paid? Or can you imagine, like, Mary and Peter and Paul, looking at us today and seeing our lives and thinking like, you're afraid of what? Like you couldn't go to the grocery store for a while? That, that's tough, but we didn't know if the thing was gonna work, right? They, they ultimately gave their lives for this movement without any guarantee that it was gonna keep moving. Uh, think about the Apostle Paul. He wrote all of those letters. He planted all of those churches. His life was radically transformed and it all ended in a Roman Colosseum. And as he walks to his death, I can imagine he wondered, was it worth it? Was it worth it? And I think maybe the answer to that question rests on us as we move the movement forward once again, as we decide what kind of faith we're going to carry. Uncertainty is unavoidable. Fearful is optional. So let's opt for something better. And when fear starts talking, when fear wants to take control, let's stop listening. And instead, what if we remember what's at the heart of this story and we can say, I am a Christian. I am a Christian. I'm a Christian. Let me pray for you. God, I pray uh, that we would have ears to hear this in whatever way we need to today. I know it's a lot. I know it's intense. I know it's overwhelming. But God, let us not gloss over it. Let us not forget that whatever uncertainty and instability we feel today, it pales in comparison to what you went through at the very beginning of this movement when you gave your life on a cross and then when your countless followers on the other side of the resurrection had so much boldness and confidence that you were alive and that you were active that many of them, thousands if not millions of them gave their lives as well. And God, I don't know what you want from us, but give us the ears to hear what you have to say to us today. Give us the courage to do what you call us to do and may our lives and our faith be worth the price you paid. Uh, May our faith reflect the kingdom of God values that you instituted. And, And God, help us to be a taste of what it looks like when your presence is alive and active here on the earth, not living in fear of unprecedented times, but living with boldness and confidence, fearing only you. We pray and we ask all of that in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in or near the Peru, Indiana area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. To find directions, service times, and information about our environments for kids, visit us at storyperu.com.